Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's now Wednesday, October 29th, which means we're just a little more than two weeks from the start of the college basketball season. And this is, of course, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, which is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio for a free trial and 10% off. Go to squarespace.com slash CBS Sports and use the offer code FUN. As usual, Matt Norlander, my colleague, CBSSports.com, joins me. Hi, Matt Norlander. How are you today? Hi, Gary Parrish. I'm doing well. I know you're down there in Charlotte for ACC Media Day. Um, I'm about ready for the season to start, but we still got 16 days to go. And it's pretty interesting. We're going to get into you know what you saw, what you heard about down there. But uh, as long, in addition to our top 100 list, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, man, I'm just, I'm ready. It was an interesting day um, in following what you saw down there uh, from afar here up on Twitter where I, where I was sitting. There were some interesting quotes from not just Bayheim and Roy, but, you know, also Krzyzewski got asked about it. And, you know, the language of the tweet I read from whoever sent it out, I apologize for not remembering, was basically... Krzyzewski cutting off whoever asked him was like, I'm not going to talk about that whatsoever regarding Roy and North Carolina. No surprise there. Uh, and it's it's funny. You know, a couple of years ago, Krzyzewski was under brief, brief fire for uh, the Lance. Who Lance was it? Williams. Lance. Let's uh, say it again. Lance Williams, right? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Lance Thomas. Lance, Lance Thomas. Thomas. Where did I get yeah, Lance yeah, Williams yeah. from? Um, but that's like totally been forgotten about. Oh, sure. Rick Pitino is in the afterglow of winning a title, and uh, the Italian restaurant escapades are now far in the distance. Uh, and then, of course, the two other legends there. Bayheim's kind of been, been embattled over the past few years with a number of things, and now Roy has the heaviest spotlight. So I don't know. What was your primary takeaway from, from the day? Did you get a chance to sit with Roy specifically or, or Bayheim in the groups and ask them anything? And what was the overall tenor of what I presume was a fairly crowded ACC media day? Yeah, I do think there were a lot of, you know, I, I don't know who all was planning on coming, um, you know, uh, from the beginning, like regardless of the circumstances, but, but I know I wasn't. And um, I talked to Pat Forty, our buddy from Yahoo Sports. I know he wasn't. Um, and I don't really go to media days anymore. I, do, I, do, I don't find them useful for me. Um, I think they're great for beat writers and they're great for uh, certain people, I, I guess. But I don't find them useful for the way I do my job. And so I just sort of have stopped going um, because I, I don't get much benefit of sitting in a crowd with a bunch of other reporters. And so um, I, I mostly just respectfully decline the invitations every year from various conferences. But um, at the last minute, I said it, I probably needed to be here because, as you know, um, the two biggest stories in college basketball, unfortunately, um, are both rooted in this league, um, one being the North Carolina academic scandal and the other being the Syracuse um, NCAA um, investigation um, that will reach a new point uh, later on this week. I guess it's Thursday and Friday. They will meet with the committee on infractions. So once you know that Bayheim's going to be here and Roy's going to be here and they're going to be here under these circumstances, then I decided at the last minute to go I know Pat Forty did as well. And yes, it made for a crowded situation. It was interesting because though their situations are obviously different. One's an academic scandal and one seems to be a wide-ranging NCAA investigation slash scandal. Um, Roy and Jim are in similar situations in that they're both Hall of Famers whose programs are under fire 
whether it's their fault or not. Um, North Carolina's reputation has taken a hit. Roy's reputation has taken a hit. Jim Beheim's I, I guess we don't really know the details of what the NCAA is alleging, uh, but you know, whenever you have to have the moment he's going to have later on this week, uh, and the details will eventually come out, there's going to be some, some stuff there that um, is problematic by definition. Otherwise, this stuff wouldn't exist. And so um, it, would, it was interesting for me to see how they would handle it, and I felt like I wanted to be here for that. Uh, what I found fascinating is that they, they could not have handled it differently. You know, Roy Williams is, uh, I think, tired of talking about this. But no, there's no doubt about it. He was tired of talking about it. I remember last year before the, you know, the Weinstein, Weinstein report sure. came out. So, yeah, yeah no doubt. But, but, you know, I'm not going to defend Roy because I think he's taken some missteps here. Um, you know, and in, in, uh, dating back to, you know, when half his team or more was in what we now know was a bogus major. But um, I, I think at his core, he's a decent guy. And my point being, he's not ever too interested in trying to belittle somebody and trying to be dismissive of somebody and trying to be defiant just to be defiant. He typically, um, you know, he, he's, he, he gets frustrated, he gets agitated, he gets passionate, he gets teary-eyed, but he'll talk. Like, if you ask him the question, he'll talk. Now, he might express frustration, but then he'll talk. And so... His nature is to, he can't, he, I, I, at least I've never seen him be this way with me personally or people in groups. He finds it, I, I don't think it's in his blood to, to be rude, you know, whereas Jim's perfectly comfortable being rude. He doesn't care. And so mm-hmm. um, Roy sat there and talked, you know, for an hour today uh, over and over again uh, about, you know, uh, the situation and what he could and couldn't have, could have done differently and could not have done differently, what he knew, what he didn't know, his frustrations, his fears. He was really good, really passionate. Jim, on the other hand, was just dismissive. Like, I'm not talking about it. You know, like, you know, he sat down and, you know, there were a handful of us there. Um, Pat Forty was there. Dane O'Neill was there. I was there. Some uh, people who cover Syracuse, some people, you know, just who cover the ACC in general. And, he he basically sat down and said, "I'm not talking about the NCAA, and you know, at all." And looked at like a, you know, somebody had an iPad recording down there, and so it was a clock running. You could see it like a stopwatch. Mm-hmm. And he said he basically, I think, mumbled like it'll be 15 seconds, like he was joking around. And Pat Forty asked a question, and he said, "Oh, it didn't even take 15 seconds." I'm not talking about that. And so then Dana tried something, uh, tried to ask a similar question, and he just sat there quiet, like didn't say a word. And then. You know, I, so awkward. It is awkward, right? <laughs> and then I felt obligated to like speak up, and so I, you know, because I'm not, not going to be the the one schmuck who won't like, you know, have the balls to step up and say something. So I said, let me try this a different way. And he interrupted me and said, so is it just a another way to ask the same question? I said, perhaps, but I'm going to try to get real creative. And he said, uh, even though you are creative, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to talk about it. And so then I, you know, I said something about, you know, listen, Roy's on the other side of the room. And he's dealing with this as well. Like, you know, and before I could even get any further, he was like, good try, but I'm not talking about it. And then it just becomes like, all right, well, like, I don't care, like, about Daywan Coleman. You know, I'm not here to talk yeah. about, you know, like, so, like, what are we even doing here? And so he was completely just dismissive and defiant, which, whatever, he can be that way. Whereas Roy at least said, said substance. I'm curious, what do you think? What's the best way to handle it? I think, uh, I, I mean, I, I think you, I think you got to step up and talk about it. Otherwise, a, you just look like a jerk, and B, the questions never go away. Uh, Behind just doesn't care. He doesn't he looks care. Like a jerk. He really, I mean, yeah. honestly, uh, 
the only one that could ever supersede him in that regard, I think it's Bobby Knight in terms of college basketball coaches just does not care if he looks like a jerk. I mean, they're in slightly different positions in that, like, well, what's Roy going to do? The Wanstein report came out, like everything is out there. So the NCAA is going through an investigation, but the details are out there. It's just who he is. He's got that all shucks about him. Bayheim is at least protected is not even the right word, but the details of what might be involved here regarding his program are still, they're shrouded. And like he, he made up, he, he said, listen, we're not, they, they, they instruct us not to talk about this stuff. And so I guess we're the only issue I would yeah, have, but, uh, you can talk about what it's like to deal with this stuff. You can exactly. talk about your friend, you can talk about it without talking about it, you know? And, and, and so I don't buy that's his excuse, but I don't I don't ex, I don't accept that as an excuse because Listen, yeah, yeah. because a, I wasn't I wasn't now. I wasn't sitting there or or Pat wasn't or Dana wasn't or any of us we weren't sitting there going so tell us exactly what went down with Fab Mello you know yeah. it, you know my question which you know he had no interest in even hearing was basically you know like this should be you know you're a Hall of Famer and and you're you know coming off a year in which you had a number one ranked team and now you've got another team that. You know, should finish in the top five or six in the ACC, and could support. And yet, nobody wants to talk to you about basketball. Everybody wants to talk to you about this, just the same way everybody wants to talk to Roy about that. And I imagine it must be frustrating on some level. Or you, or hey, are you concerned that this is going to be part of your legacy? What if this is a really, really bad scandal that the NCAA has uncovered? It, you know, like let's talk about that type of stuff. I don't need to know the details. Let's talk about what you're going through right now. And he, whereas Roy would talk about that. Um, Jim just was completely dismissive of it. And it's, again, I don't mean to su- suggest that he was any different than he is any other time. I mean, yeah, I he, know, but... he, he acted this way with a smile. If, and then we sat there and did talk about basketball for 20 minutes. He was fine. But um, I don't know. I just don't buy the whole, oh, we can't talk about it. Because uh, nobody's asking you about Fab Mello. That's, we're, just, yeah. we're just asking you about, like, yo, man, how, how do you navigate this? It, you know, at your age, with your credentials... Now this is, d- depending on what comes out, this is going to be part of your legacy and it could tarnish you in a very real way. What's that like? And he wouldn't even engage. In well, yeah, way. well, here's, here's what's striking to me is that, you know, I saw someone pass along a quote, a quote from Roy where he basically was like, oh gosh, I hope this isn't a big part of how they remember me. And it was like, Roy, it actually is going to be a huge part of how you remember. Like, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to view that, uh, depending on where you sit as a college basketball fan, yeah, this is going to be a big part. Maybe not the biggest part, but it's certainly at this point in time, as we're in the middle of it, it seems very huge. Whereas Bayheim, it's it's very much could be the same kind of situation. I mean, this unrelated, but still a huge story with the Bernie Fine stuff, who, by the way, a judge recently said that the, uh, the former ball boys were essentially slandered by Beheim and that they can go after him and have a lawsuit. He doesn't seem to give a damn about that. And that's fine. I mean, Beheim's a great coach, but there's a certain way you could handle yourself and certainly help yourself with the press and the media. Beheim, you know, it kind of speaks to where he thinks he is professionally, just doesn't give a crap about how what the media thinks, what the NCAA is. I mean, and that could come from a little bit of fear or just complete and utter confidence that he thinks he'll get, he'll get out of whatever his program is potentially facing with Fab Mello, uh, impermissible benefits to maybe some other players that we don't even know about instances. So 
I'm not surprised he was like that with you. Um, would have really would have been refreshing if he wasn't like that, to be honest. But uh, you know, he is facing. You know, he's getting on a plane. He probably is on a plane now, heading toward Indianapolis sure. as we record this podcast. And Thursday and ideally Friday, he'll sit and talk with the committee on fractions. So it is a relatively big moment in his coaching career because what he shares is obviously extremely vital. He needs to be up forth, you know, upfront and honest because if he's not, we've seen the damage that can happen there. I will say I didn't get the sense and I don't get the sense that he is because there are sometimes you'll talk to coaches and they'll say, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. So like we're going to go through this, but you will be vindicated at the end of it. There's none of that. Uh, you know, basically he said, you know, to the extent that he would talk about anything, he, you know, Jim Beheim said, you know, we're, we're going to go through this and they'll have their side of the story and we'll have our side of the story and then, you know, and then they'll do what they're going to do and then we'll move on. You know, like he was, so mm-hmm. it, it's not, it, it's not like we haven't done anything. We run our program the right way. You know, this is all crazy and you'll see. It's always, it, it was more like, yeah, whatever they do, they'll do and then we'll move on and whatever. Like it was just sort of <laughs> like, like I don't care. Whereas, um, and I, whether or not he really cares or not, I don't know. Uh, but he's certainly... He certainly portrays an image of I don't care. Yeah. Um, Roy cares. Roy cares deeply. And I know that he can say he hopes that this isn't a part of his story. But like you said, it, it is undeniably going to be a part of his story. It is already a part of his story. And he got, he, you know, he had those Roy Williams moments today where he got really, really passionate. Like, you know, uh, this is my school. Like, this is where, um, you know, so, so when people, people, you know, talk about the integrity of, of, of my school, like that, that hurts me, you know, because this is, this isn't a place where, you know, I took the job because it was the best job I could get. And I'm, I'm going to leave in three years or, you know, I'm not a job bouncer. You know, this is where I, this is my destiny. This is my home. This is where I, this is my school. This is my kids went to school here. And so, you know, he acknowledged, yes, all of this bothers me. It is tearing me up. Um, and and yes, we've made mistakes, and there are people in our university that have made mistakes, and um, it's sad. And and like he genuinely does care, I think, about the reputation of North Carolina. He genuinely does care about how this might tarnish him, how it already has tarnished him, even if he's still in denial to some degree. Um, what I found interesting was that he will acknowledge that maybe he should have known more. He will acknowledge that maybe he should have done more. In hindsight, but he any question of his ethics, he fights back pretty strongly in in an impressive way. Frankly, uh, he you know he may just be acting up there, but if you were trying to get him to acknowledge that he knew what was going on, or that he knew these classes didn't really exist, or that he knew it was a bogus major, he he will he'll stop you right there. He will not he won't give any on that. He'll give some everywhere else. Should I have known? Should I have paid closer attention? Should I have asked more questions? Maybe, maybe, maybe. But do not, and this was him talking, do not question my ethics. Do not tell me, call me dumb, call me naive, call me foolish, but don't tell me that I, A, don't care about academics, and B, uh, you know, knew that this stuff was going on within my program or within our university. Like, I, there's no proof of that. Nobody will ever be able to prove that. And nobody will ever get me to acknowledge that. I didn't know what was going on. I might have been naive, but I was not active. I was not participating in, in the stuff that was going on. And it was not happening, you know, 
I didn't have knowledge of it if you know when it was happening. He he is pretty defiant and passionately so when it comes to that conversation. Which means he's either telling the truth or he has you know belief beyond a doubt that even if he if that's not true, it could never be proven. You know what so I think? I, I think he is telling the truth. I, yeah. I, you know, but but here's the deal. I also think if you didn't know, it's because you didn't want to know. You know. I, yeah, of course. And yeah. we talked about this last week. Yeah. I mean, there there was certainly an element to that, and a lot of this when it was happening, it was some something of a different climate. But yeah, yeah. I, I I think he didn't want to know. And you know, like I, I talked to somebody connected to the program today because you know they'd read my column from last week where I basically said you know Roy Williams is the latest to you know to to cover his eyes and cover his ears and just coach his basketball team. I don't think there's anything unique about that in the history of college basketball coaching. Uh, but I do believe that's what Roy did here. And so, you know, as the, as the um, story goes from the North Carolina side, what they will tell you is that Roy thought it looks as weird having all these kids in the same major. And then, you know, he went and asked his academic person, like, hey, we're not steering under this major, are we? And they said, no, no, no. And... And then he still like sort of wanted them to to not be a part of that major, but but that took like two years later before they were mostly removed from the from the major. And um, and so the argument is, hey, Roy Williams is the only person at North Carolina who actually tried to break this thing up. And I just respectfully uh, I disagree. I, I I don't think that that's proof that he tried to break anything up because. The argument goes, because, because the counter to that is, yo, man, you still had people in that major. Like, you can say that you, you realized it was might be shady after the 2005 season, but then you still had people in that major up until, I think... Oh, nine. Yeah, okay. So, like, and so then the counter argument to that, I had this conversation earlier today, and I've had it with North Carolina fans as well, is, and Roy's actually said this too, well, I can't tell people what classes not to take. That's the argument. Hey, Roy Williams can be, can, can, you know, at the end of the day, Roy Williams cannot tell his players what, what the major in and what not the major in. And that's crazy. Like that's bullshit. Yes, you can. Like mm. if you coaches tell their players what to do all the time. So like, let's, let's say there's this, there's this, um, there's this shady character around the program. Who's a runner for an agent and he's involved in guns and drugs and hookers and whatever. If the coach is aware, you don't think there's a coach in the country who will gather his players around and say, hey, don't go anywhere close to that guy. I don't want you anywhere close to that guy. If I hear you around that guy, it's a problem. If there's a bar where bad stuff's going on right off campus, coaches all the time will say, hey, listen, I want you guys to be college students. I want you to enjoy yourself. But that place is off limits. Coaches put in curfews for adults if they're college basketball players sometimes. There was a uh, – when John Calipari was the coach at Memphis – he actually had um, a rule at one point where the players weren't allowed to be in clubs. And if they were, he wanted people, normal people, to take iPhone pictures of them and send them to him. And like, so basically it was your ban from going to clubs. So my point is this. Coaches tell players what to do all the time. If you really thought that a major was bogus and you really thought that it was wrong for your players to be in it, absolutely you could tell them not to major there. And so that's the only place where I, I just fundamentally disagree is that, um, well, you, you know, a basketball coach is a basketball coach and he can't tell players where to, what to major in. Yes, he can. That's not true. Now, the, the, and so then it leads to what did Roy know, what he didn't know. I genuinely believe he probably didn't know that these were paper classes. Otherwise, I don't think he would be as adamant about that as he is right now. But 
I think it benefited him not to know, and so he he went out of his way not to know. And I, I will tell you this, um, and I'll, I'll put that I'm working on a column as well, and I'll, I'll think I'll include this in the column. You know, there's 15 uh, ACC basketball coaches now. Is that the right number? There's something like that. 14, I think. 14. Maybe 15. Okay. Uh, it's it's tough to keep uh, yeah, track. Okay, whatever the number is. Well. You know, some of those guys I know really well just from doing this job and it, well enough to where I can talk to them honestly. You and Brad Brownell are boys, man. <laughs> I do like Brad. I've known Brad for a while. But I, I guess my point is this. I went out of my way to pull some ACC coaches aside today, not people who hate Roy. Not, I wasn't fishing for anything other than the answer to this question. If you had more than half of your roster in a bogus major and their grades – uh, contradicted what it is you know their high school transcripts suggested they ought to be as students. Is there any scenario under which you wouldn't know? Like, mm. is there any scenario under which you wouldn't know? I asked this to, I believe, four or five different ACC coaches, privately and off the record, um, with anonymity granted. And every one of them said, there's no way you don't know. There's no right. way. Okay, like, like, like listen... I mean, I haven't had one guy say, listen, I, I, I like Roy, you know, he, he got, he just got, he got caught up in this, but like the idea that he didn't know is just like, come on, man, you do know, because, you know, as the coach, as the coach has explained, you are constantly in contact with your academic people and you're constantly like, you know, Hey, so-and-so needs a B like, is he going to get a B? Like you, you are so, when you coach at this level, you are so in tune about what's going on academically that if your academic advisors know that these are sham classes and your and your players know these are sham classes, you either do know and don't care or you don't know because you are going way out of your way not to know. There is no in between. So where Roy will just sort of write it off, he is writing it off and say, listen, I was just naive, I guess. I will tell you this, matter-of-factly, his colleagues don't buy that at all. What his colleagues believe that if he didn't know, it's not because – it, it, the only reason he do, he wouldn't know is because he went really out of his way to not know. They 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 reject any other scenario. Either he's lying, which I don't believe. I don't think he's lying, or he went way out of his way not to know and created enough of a buffer between him and all that to where if it ever came to this, he could be able to say what he's saying now. But the idea that your players could be more than half your roster in this major that is a complete sham and you not be aware that it's a complete sham. Again, every single coach I spoke with said that's just not that's just not real life. It's not real life. Um, and you know what? I had one coach today. I thought this was interesting because I, I, somebody might have brought this up over the past week or written about it. I don't know. But this one coach said, think about um, Bruce Weber. He said Bruce Weber would, you know, might never have a chance to win a national championship again, and he lost it to a bunch of kids, or at least some kids who probably shouldn't have been in school. All right, yeah. like that's you don't get that back if you're Bruce Weber. Like that, so this isn't like a, um, you know, this 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 is wide ranging who it actually affected. And then another coach brought this up to me. He said, "Okay, if you've got more than half of a roster of a basketball team, um, not not taking real classes, essentially." And you're recruiting one-and-done players, which is what North Carolina does. You're recruiting future pros. You don't think that becomes a recruiting tool? In other words, this coach said, you don't think there are recruits com coming on campus for official visits and they're going out to dinner with the players and they're going to parties with the players and they're, 
you know, uh, you know, hook it up with girls, with the players, and all the stuff that happens on recruiting visits. He said, you don't think at some point a Rashad McCants or a Sean May or a Raymond Felton or somebody else involved in that program at that time looks at some future pro, some top 10 pick, and says, listen, man, here's the great thing about coming here is that we don't even have to go to school. Like, we don't have to do anything. Like, like we just play, we just ball out. And, like, we get grades. We don't even know why, but we get them. So, like, you're only going to be in school a year or two anyway, and then you're going to be in the NBA. So, like, listen, man, you come to Carolina. You're playing here underneath these banners. Um, you're on national television all the time. You're, you're, you're Jordan brand. And you don't have to do the stupid work that you're going to have to do if you go to school A, B, or C. So this is the best setup going. Like, is it, this coach said, is it really a stretch to think that that conversation happened somewhere? Probably not, is it? Is it possible that North Carolina benefited in recruiting because they were recruiting to a scenario that might seem uh, attractive and advantageous to a 17-year-old future NBA player? Maybe. I think so. That's absolutely feasible on every sort of level when you really consider what these players probably talk about. You know, on the real, so to speak, sure. during these recruiting trips. And uh, if that is truly a situation where, you know, Carolina basketball players, granted, it wasn't every class. We no. know what it was, but it was their major for plenty of players. If that's the situation that they're in, you know, a lot of, you know, breaking news. Plenty of kids who play college basketball don't like going to school right. and, and hate class. And well, how about this? that if goes took, for plenty of right. players that don't. This? If you took me at 17 years old and said, yo, man, you can get a degree from this school and you won't really have, you know, yeah, you got to pass, say, you know, 15 hours a semester, but but nine of them are going to be bogus classes. You don't even have to worry about it. Like, that would have been attractive to me, and I'm not a basketball player. I was just somebody who, you know, at a certain point in my life, like, it was sort of like I liked the idea of an easy way out, you know? Like mm-hmm. like, like a lot of 17-year-olds might, you know? I, like, I, I, I went back as an adult and read most of the books that I was supposed to read in high school. You know, like, but, but my point being when I was 16, 17 years old, I had no interest in that stuff. So like, I don't, certainly I don't want to speak for all 16, 17 year olds in America, but I imagine a a good percentage and a really good percentage of basketball prospects would be attracted to the idea that you can go to an ACC school and maybe not have to really go to school. And so I don't doubt that that, uh, not certainly not a recruiting tool Roy Williams used, but again, players talk. Like I was with Jello Okafor a few weeks ago, and he said one of the person he talked to all the time while Duke was recruiting him wasn't just Mike Krzyzewski or or um, you know any Duke assistant. Jabari. Jabari Parker. He was like he said he said you know Jello told me you know Co- Coach K would tell me something over the phone. Then I'd pick up the phone and call Jabari, and I'd be like, Yo, is this true? Is this really the way it is? Like. Is coach telling the truth? And so my point being, players talk to recruits all the time. And and they, as you put it, talk to them, you know, in real talk. And I don't doubt that they're um, that there's at least a scenario where a recruit might have picked North Carolina based on the idea in on some level that that the actual school part of being a student athlete wouldn't be too difficult. Like I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's a stretch. You mentioned earlier that the NCAA has, has reopened this investigation. That's very much true. Um, you're a betting man. Would you think the 2005 national titles vacated? Oh, boy. Um, I was talking with uh, one of our colleagues um, who just works at the site. I won't, I won't name him, uh, but we were discussing this on Gchat yesterday. He says yes. He I say yes to happen. I I said uh, 50-50. I'll say no. So I'm. I'll guess I'll repeat myself and say no. 
but he he really thinks it's going to happen. You think it's? Uh, I mean, what percentage would you would you place on it right now? I'm I'm not going to be shocked if it happened. That'd be you know vacating wins, whatever we can talk about. When you actually take away a, a banner and it has to come down, and you and you remove a a championship, you can argue whether that punishment, so to speak, is is silly or not. It it does have impact and will have reverberations if and when it happens. I think it's a real punishment, particularly for a school like North Carolina. You know those those banners. I mean that is. That is a prominent part of the Dean Smith Center. Have you been there? Have you ever been there, Dean Smith Center? I've actually I've been outside of the Dean Smith Center. I Oh, you should have gone in. It was the off-season. The doors are locked. Trust me, I tried every nook and cranny. Yeah, but like when you walk in, that, that is the striking image. Yes, I actually looked through the doors, and you can see, yes, it is. I mean, those banners, the Jordan yes. banner, the championship banners, that's the, that's the striking image of of the Dean Smith Center. And so for one of those banners to not be there, I, I don't know that it would matter every to everybody everywhere, but it would matter. It would matter to that school. Um, I, I don't know about percentages. I, I think better than 50 though. I think it's more likely than not. And, um, you know, really like typically there's an argument, you know, about this type of stuff, but, but, um, you know, about what did or did not happen, you know? Um, so the issue here is that North Carolina has basically already acknowledged that this happened. And so it seems to me that, yeah, the NCAA is only going to have to go back and look at transcripts and figure out that whether it was Rashawn McCants or Sean May or, or any, any one player, if they can show that one player would, was only eligible because of the sham classes, then, then that should lead them to a place where they can retroactively make that player ineligible and then vacate every single moment that, that that player participated in in that particular year, which would include the national championship game. And so... Um, you know, that's essentially what happened to Memphis 2008 Final Four. I mean, Derrick Rose was ruled retroactively ineligible, and therefore Memphis had to forfeit whatever it is he participated in. And so I really don't see how the NCAA could, could hold Memphis to a strict liability clause as it pertains to Derrick Rose without also holding North Carolina to a strict liability clause as it pertains to that 2005 team, unless, of course, they just don't because they sometimes they just don't you know like I don't you know sometimes they just don't I you know there's no real consistency with the NCAA but right but certainly um um it's if they want to do it it seems like they've got all the ammunition they need it's just going to take um it's just going to take finding the one player who would have been ineligible without these classes and you know best I can tell that's not going to be hard to find Mm -hmm. what else do you want to chat about GP well um the top 100 list. Top 100. That's right, sir. Is going to be published at CBSSports.com um, at some point in the next 24 hours, I believe. Yeah, Thursday morning is when it's uh, is when it's going up. I sort of uh, mentioned it um, earlier when we were talking about the ACC in general, but the top is three ACC players: Okafor, Harrell, and and Marcus Page. Um, I, I, we could go through it. I don't. I mean, know. we don't have to go one through 100. Yeah, here, like, but I just wanted cares? to kind of just generally yeah, chat where, about the list. Here is where we, I think, have a uh, philosophical difference. We definitely do, and it's cool. Here is my issue: in what scenario is somebody who plays at UC Santa Barbara, so Alan Williams, who is a borderline NBA prospect at best, legitimately one of the best 40 college basketball players in the country? I, I tend to think, I, I tend to subscribe to this. The tenth guy on Kentucky's bench or the eighth on Kansas's is is a better college basketball player 
than somebody who's putting up big numbers in, say, the Sun Belt. That that they that they they don't have the stats to show it because they don't only because they don't play in the Sun Belt. And so in my head, if you're ranking actual college basketball players, like let's rank the best players. Like if we held a tryout, who would who would be picked? And I just refuse to believe that some of the guys we end up listening because of you and our new colleague Sam Vicini aren't really ranked properly because they're not better than some of the dudes ranked below them. Like, do you really think put Allen Williams and Trey Lyles on a on a table and tell a coach they could take one of them? How many have taken Allen Williams over Trey Lyles? Hey, Trey Lyles might end up being the better player by year's end. There's there's no doubt about it. I would say Allen Williams is better than a borderline pick at best. Um this is a guy who is what was third, fourth in the nation in scoring. When you're when you're at that level and you're getting the attention of NBA scouts, I think it kind of proves that you've gone beyond simply the conference that you're playing in. And if you're like, he's on Jonathan Gavoni's draft board right now for Draft Express. Guy knows what he's talking at about. At the very end, in. though, like come on. But he's in, dude. He's in. That's the point. Is there are 60 players he thinks will be drafted next year? Right. 10 to 12 of those are international. So you shrink that down. He's saying right now, from a pro potential standpoint, that Allen Williams is really one of the 45 to 48 best players in college basketball. I think that's accurate and fair. I get where you're coming from, but I also think that you sometimes don't give enough credit to, yeah, just because a guy might end up in the Sun Belt or whatever conference you want to name, yeah, you know what, when he, when he was 17, he might not have been at that level, but players are allowed to get better. They're allowed to be awesome. There are recruiting misses, so there are certainly some cases where you know, who do we think are the best college basketball players who are who are producing, who have the, it's not just talent. It's kind of talent and production. And the way that I've always kind of made my list and picked it out is basically if you're giving me a, a, a theoretical playground and I have every single college basketball player available to me and we're picking shirts and skins, I'm basically listing it off of guys that I would take in order. You're going to take him. OK, I'll take him second. You take him. I'll take him third, fourth, fifth, whatever. Totally get it. We definitely have a um, a difference in philosophy, but I do want to say that I want to Vicini is is if you thought it was bad with me. Oh I God, mean, the two of you! Like I wanted to blow my brains out. Yeah. You guys. And first off, I don't listen. I'm not holding somebody um, uh, down based on their league. Like you want to throw Steph Curry at the top of a list? I'm down with throwing Steph Curry at the top of the list. But like. And again, let me be very clear. Let me back up for a second. Alan Williams is a fine college basketball player. I hate No, that. he's like really – he's not fine. He's extremely good. Like uh, arguably a top five rebounder and already and a top five proven scorer. So like he's very good. In my opinion, in my opinion, you put him on um, – I, I don't know. You put him on – Put him on Kentucky. Where does he play? Well, Kentucky's an, an abnormal. Uh, Kentucky is, is the is the is the. I'll tell you what. You put him well, why, in. The, why put him in the bi- put him in the Big East right now, and he would be a first league all team player without a question. No, no, no. You put him you're in you're the missing East. the point. You, any of these guys can play in any league. Okay, that's not the problem. The problem is if you take Allen Williams and you put him on Kentucky's roster, who's he playing in front of? I mean, he's he's a he's a smaller big compared to what they're doing. But yes, I understand what you're saying with Kentucky. Okay, there's Kansas. no doubt about it. And, and Kentucky. Okay, and just Kansas. Here. Let's play. Can- Who's he playing? Okay, so is he playing? Is he in Kansas's starting lineup? I would I would start right now. No, I put Alexander ahead of him, who we have. I would have Perry Ellis ahead of him, who we have. Okay, so this is my point. Is that? But you- those guys are already ranked ahead of him. Perry Ellis is ranked at 22. Fine. Okay. Like like we can keep going. Like. Um, what about Arizona? Would he start at Arizona? I think Allen Williams is a better college basketball player right now than Caleb Sarsuski. But they're two different positions. 
Um, Maybe I, my question was simple. Maybe you misheard. Would he start at Arizona? Yes. Right now, yes. Come on. Dude, you're well, asking maybe, a question. Maybe, giving, maybe, I knew maybe, this was coming, maybe, by the way. Maybe. Listen, I'm not even going to be dismissive, maybe. And I hate turning this into like an Allen Williams um, uh, conversation because I do. Th- he's, a, he's a good college basketball player. I think where we come down is I tend to look at some of the players, not Steph Curry, um, not um, Damian Lillard, but like some guys who, if you put them in, in d- not just any other league, but on other rosters, they couldn't get, they wouldn't be relevant basketball players. And and yet because they play on a, in an inferior league, but on a team that where they're so much better than everybody else at that level, that they post numbers that, I, honest to God, I think Alex Poitras could could post those kinds of numbers. You put him on the same team. Yeah. And, so this is where league. we ran into it. You're talking right into the the point I'm about to make. So. I did think about this when we were building the list because specifically Kentucky is such a headache when it comes to this. Like, we've got Poitras at 73. Yeah. Uh, that is way too low. I mean, eventually it's just what we did. And I almost feel like we were like, well, we just can't put nine Kentucky players in the top 40. Well, you, I can. actually, I maybe we to. should have. Like, honestly, maybe we should have done that. <laughs> like, it would, we would have gotten hate from every nine. But here's Kentucky the difference. Players. Here's the difference. I don't think Alex Poitras is great. I don't really. I don't think that's crazy low for Alex Poitras. I don't have a high opinion of Alex Poitras. Yeah, I, I uh, yeah, I, I'm, I like him. I mean, he is, you know, coming back as a junior, and so maybe there's. In- I might actually take Alan Williams over Alex Poitras. <laughs> oh boy, okay. They, well, I would too, but still. Um, God, I know you would. Oh, good. Hey, listen, and you want to have you want was- you you admit it. You want to have Alan Williams' baby. No, Vicini, dude. V- you want to have a baby Google, with Alan Williams. Google Vicini, our new colleague. Google Sam Vicini, Alan Williams. The dude wrote like a 2,500-word story on the guy. Okay, right, so right, he, he's even bigger on Alan Williams than me. So, so the, for that, so, I thank him for taking some so heat in, off. In the Sam Vicini uh, interview process, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't hire and fire people, but uh, thankfully our boss is in like. In your mind, I think you do. I can. Push it. Push it and see what happens to you. <laughs> I, I I said I don't. I, I didn't say I I can't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, but but I am I'm always appreciative that our bosses like uh, they 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 want my input on on such things. And so um, I, I spent a, you know 45 minutes or so on the phone with Sam, who I'd never met before, and I walked away. And I can't wait till we start having him on the uh, podcast because he's a really smart guy. People will realize that. Uh, that was my first impression of him. Like he's really really smart. Um, and but I swear we weren't talking for five minutes before he brought up Alan Williams. And get I was, out of here! For I swear, real? yeah, he was like, um, yeah, you know, and uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big like. It, it was almost like I was asking his interest. You know, it, it, like um, I don't remember exactly the context, but it would, in my head, in my head, this is the way it, it, that conversation went down. Yeah, so my uh, favorite movie is Goodfellas, and my uh, favorite band is, um, you know, uh, uh, the Beatles, and uh, and and I love Alan Williams too. You know, that's sort of the way I remember it. It was just like the, I think the first basketball player I've ever heard him mention by name was Alan Williams. So you two, mm-hmm. you don't even get me started on John Brown. Dude, he's a legitimately awesome player, dude. I don't know what you want me to say. High points, John Brown, 86 on the list. That's reasonable. If we took John Brown and put him at, I don't know, any top 25 program, what happens? Dude, he's good. Uh, top 25, I think he you would start for plenty question. of them. He is extremely good. I don't know what to tell you, man. Listen, the, the who's okay? Who is the guy that's not on the list that you think should have been on the list? Mm, I actually had these. 
written down and I deleted Yeah, well, for me, it would be E.C. Matthews, who I'm just going to go out. You called him irrelevant in the email chain. I don't even think you're ashamed of that. But the dude is like a solid player at Rhode Island. So I get what you're saying. When we get down to the 90s and we don't have E.C. Matthews, you just don't give a damn. But I think we might get a little bit of blowback on that. So that would be my What about guys. Quinn Cook? Should Quinn, you tell me Quinn Cook? <sighs> Not a top 100 guy? I actually thought that last year, but now I don't. You tell me you put Quinn Cook at high point, he ain't balling out? <laughs> I mean, he could, he could very well. Quinn Cook would average 25 points a game at high point. <laughs> and, you'd be, and then you know what you'd be? You'd be, uh, on, you'd, you'd be like trying to rank Quinn Cook in the 20s at high point because no, he averages stop. 25 points per game. Don't put me in a box like that. That's that what is... you'd do. You'd be like, Quinn Cook at high point. You hate Quinn Cook at Duke, but Quinn, Quinn Cook at high point? You, you'd, you'd, you'd have your pants around your ankles. Dude, it ain't. I got plenty of love for the big conference players, but I think there are some guys who are good at the smaller league level that have proven just to be awesome college basketball players. So that's why we uh, we give them a little bit of love. I do want to say, what about good, what about Nigel Hayes? Is he on our list? Dude, is he on the list? He was one that I was. Well, I, him, I was pushing him, him and Travion Jackson. I, I just don't know which one I think is better. I thought we put Nigel on the list, but he might not be on the list. I think he's not. I push for him. I pushed for him. You guys didn't want him. You rejected we do have another, that. We do have another Nigel. We have Nigel Williams-Goss at 68 from Washington. Nigel Hayes, that could have been a misfire. But him and Trey Jackson. I tried my best to get him. You guys didn't want him. You did put Ridley on there at the end, which I think was a good call because I think Cameron Ridley at Texas, number 98, is going to end up having a good year. Uh, Sam put Brad Waldo at St. Mary's. I would have gone Nigel Hayes over Brad Waldo. Oh, first. oh how about to kill Cotton? Dude, he, I swear, he was in like my 105, 106 area. After we filed the list uh, to kill Cotton at, at Wichita State, he is an awesome player. He's really fun to watch, which, by the way, I'm just going to get off on a side tangent here. This uh, top 100 list, I do love doing it. I totally nerd out over it. But it's we've got six outlets now that are doing this top 100. We started it. It was our baby. Nothing on the Internet is sacred. I get it. It's a, it's an easy click, easy thing. So next year, GP, I think we should change it. I don't want to say what the change is on the podcast. No, tell me. Let's go. Let's talk it through. No, I don't want to. I, first, I don't know, even know for sure what it'll be, but I don't want to say it and then have someone else do it next year. So while everyone else can do their top 100 list, we're going to do something similar yet different because it better not be like 150 because i can't do those it's lists. not going to be 150 you guys okay? make me crazy. if anything you know what i'll tell you what if anything it might even benefit your desire to put 17 kentucky players on the list but yeah, i would love to put i got some brainstorming but we see espn and more power to them i mean sb nation you may want to make a top 100 list we don't have you know intellectual property over that i wasn't the first one to ever think of it but we were the first ones to do it for college hoops and everyone's got a list, man. What are you going to do, right? What are you going to uh, do? What are you going to do? I just want to mention a couple guys here, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Devontae Smith-Rivera, Georgetown at 54. I think he'll be higher by year's end. We were curious about what to do with Chris Walker at Florida. He's 43. He just, like, he's supposed to be awesome. We just haven't seen it yet. So we were kind of confused about where exactly we should put him. Um, his teammate, Dorian Finney-Smith at Florida, 78. I think he's going to have a really awesome year. We did not, by the way. Bryce Johnson, we have at 61 at North Carolina. We didn't put Kennedy Meeks on the list. I wonder if that ultimately – we'll see what his game is like. So that one was another one I was curious about. Um, How about two, no, no Syracuse players? And I realized that after we filed, but I don't have an issue with it. Neither do, do I. No. Who would you put on? I don't know who you could possibly put on. I don't, I don't think there's anyone that would be worthy of it. Um, I don't know if there's any other team. So Syracuse, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's any other like major, like mainstream popular team like that that doesn't have a player. Indiana's only player is Yogi Ferrell. Um, 
I don't know if there's anyone else. I mean, everyone else from our top 20, your top 25 and one, I think, just about. Yeah, I would no. think, I think Syracuse would be the only, like, you know, tr- true national brand team that doesn't have a player. Like, I'm going through the coaches' poll right now, okay? Kentucky's got plenty, Arizona plenty, Duke, of course, Wisconsin, yes, Kansas, yes, Carolina, yes, Florida. Virginia mm-hmm. does. We got Brogdon, right? Yeah, and I almost put London Parantes on, but yep, it's just Brogdon. Okay. And Toby is kind of a fringe guy too, but he hasn't gotten awesome. Louisville, yes. Texas, obviously. Wichita yes. State has two. Villanova has at least Yes, Darren two. Hilliard and Javon, and Javon Pinkston. Pinkston, right? Gonzaga, we got Pangos. And we got Wesley, who everyone forgets about, the USC transfer. He's probably going to – and Vecini really pushed for him. I think that was a good call. But we have Wesley, uh, Pangos. We did not put Wiltshire, but I'm okay with that. I actually think I voted for – I think I voted for Wiltshire. You I think you did. I, it's tough. I think he uh, – well, he might end up proving to be a top 100 player, but maybe next year is the year that breaks out. I don't know. But, uh, but we do have two Gonzaga players. I, Iowa State, we have – Yes, so we have Nyang. Yeah, of course. I'm relatively speaking down on Monty Morris as a top 100 player. I just want to see him do it. Um, And we did not put Bryce DeJean Jones, who I think will be. We did not. We did not. It's only Nyang. There's a lot of guys. Dude, I was surprised by how many players didn't make the list. It felt like uh, a good 20 to 25 out of case. Keep going. Connecticut, we got Boatwright. We have Boatwright, and did we get Brima yes, on the he's list. At the very yeah, end. 94, Brima. Uh, VCU. Travion Graham. Graham. Uh, San Diego State. Yep, we have uh, Winston Shepard, who right. I. Oh, dude, you, Winston Shepard's way too low. He's at 62. I think he's a top 50 player, but regardless. Michigan State, we have Brandon Dawson. We have Brandon Dawson. Denzel Valentine is unlike any other player, but didn't crack the list. Oh, wow. Oklahoma, Buddy. Yeah, Oklahoma, we have Buddy Hield. I. I he wasn't close, but I thought about Ryan Spangler as well. But I love uh, that there's a relevant basketball player named Buddy. Dude, I knew you. I how can you not, Buddy? And he's like legitimately really awesome. Top, he's he's number twenty five on our list. If Oklahoma gets Tayshawn Thomas, uh, yeah, eligible, then, they they could be they could they're, be, they're gonna be good no matter what. But they could be. Yeah, really, I rated really them good. high in our. We all did our top twenty five and one matrixes on the site. I actually I had Oklahoma pretty high relative to everyone else. I kind of did it banking on him being eligible. Ohio State, D'Angelo Russell. Anybody else? Uh, no one else from Ohio State, but I'm, D'Angelo Russell in part, I mean, I'm, coaches believe that he's going Listen, to. Listen, I talked to Thamata about him a few weeks ago. Loves him. Loves him. Apparently he is, like, going to just be an absolute – I mean, Ohio State was brutal. Couldn't watch him on offense. He alone apparently is going to jump him. He's 44 on our list. Might be a little bit high for some, <clears throat> Jeff Goodman. But uh, overall, I think that's going to look like a good pick. Nebraska, Yes. Taron Petaway, obviously. Siobhan Shields didn't sniff the list, but he's a really good player in that league. SMU, we've got... We've got Marcus, Marcus Kennedy. Kennedy, who's not technically eligible yet. Uh, wondering when that might happen. He's 65, and then Nick Moore, the point guard, is 84. Michigan, Karis. Mich- yeah, so Michigan, Karis Levert is, is clearly the pick. I did debate... Derek Walton, their point guard, because I think Walton actually might make Levert an even better player this year, but he did not make the list. Levert is number eight. And then uh, and then Syracuse is 24th in the coaches' poll. No Syracuse players. And then Iowa. Iowa, Aaron White, love right. his game. Iowa's actually got a lot of guys who would I would probably put in like the 1 to 200 range, but only Aaron White, who I think only Kaminsky is, and coincidentally they're both white. But in terms of just being a problem at the forward position, White's like freaky athletic, so he is – on our list at 59. So Syracuse is um, the only team ranked in the top 25 of the preseason coaches poll. 
that does not have a player on our top 100 list. And they got to go meet with the committee on infractions. Just bad week. Bad week for Syracuse all the way around. It is a bad week. Before we, uh, before we wrap up the podcast, though, I wanted to actually just do a quick reset. Um, just a quick drive-by. Our top 100 players last year, GP, we actually did a pretty good job. <laughs> I brought up the Google machine. It's not bringing up the page in time, though, so it's delaying maybe my internet. Oh, wait. Hold on, here, here, here it goes. Here it goes. Okay, so just real quick here. We, I thought we kind of totally nailed this you know we lost goodman suddenly things get a lot clearer here it is okay you ready for this like if the order might not be terrific but i'll just reel off the top 25 so wiggins one smart marcus smart two doug mcdermott three by the way all these players have left the sport either because they were awesome or graduated um doug mcdermott three who you know would have been one i guess ideally uh russ smith julius randall and by the way did you i didn't see it but it. it was terrible I went. I turned off the TV. It must have been five minutes before it happened last night. He broke his leg in the Laker game. Exactly. I, 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 I watched to see if the Kobe Dwight thing led to punches. It didn't. I was like, all right, I'm going to bed. Right. Um, Jabari was six. Gary Harris was seven. Aaron Kraft was eight. J- Jahi Carson, we overrated him, nine. Aaron Gordon at 10. Mitch McGarry, 11, who, by the way, if Mitch McGarry had been able to come back, he would have been, I would think, a top five player on our list. Andrew Harrison, Willie Cauley-Stein, Rodney Hood, Adrian Payne, You'll notice. And then Montrez Harrell. I think Montrez Harrell was the highest-ranked player last year on our list who is back. He was 16. C.J. Fair, gone. Glenn Robinson, the third, 18, gone. Samaj Kristen, gone. Shabazz Napier, at 20, gone. Spencer Dinwiddie, 21, gone. Clean Anthony Early, gone. Joe Harris, gone. Isaiah Austin, gone. And 25 was Poitras. Um, and so then if only you keep... two of the top 25 are actually back in school. Yep, and then... It's just LaQuentin Ross gone, Kyle Anderson gone, Joel Embiid gone, oh, Sam God, Decker is back. Great, and then, so if you want to go to 30, Decker was 29, James Michael McAdoo was 30. Um, so three of the 30 are back, which I kind of indicates I think we did a pretty good job overall just taking a look. And it's tough, too. I, I, when we try and rate these freshmen, GP, I mean, we're going off of what we've seen in person in Vegas and Georgia and like the year, two years prior. Uh, reputation a lot and expecting what they're going to do minutes wise so freshmen are obviously really tough but uh for me i have it all right every time (laughs) it might be tough for you you speak for yourself all right real real quick i gotta hit some news and notes presented by squarespace uh gib arnold fired he's the hawaii coach should you be surprised if you're hawaii when you have to fire your coach amid an ncaa investigation after you hired your coach straight off of tim floyd's staff at usc uh, not even remotely shocked. That was a weird one. You posted on it, uh, late Tuesday night. I don't have the desire or time to research this, but it is my guess that Gib Arnold is the first division one college basketball coach in the past 40 years to be fired between October 25th and Halloween. I just, you don't see a late October firing ever. So not only that, but him and an assistant, um, that program's already extremely hampered as is given its location and trying to schedule opponents and all that. It's, you can make the argument why even shouldn't even be a D one, uh, school, but regardless, um, shouldn't be surprised whatsoever. I did pick up on that, by the way, on your, on your headline, (laughs) the the Tim Floyd thing was the last line of your, uh, of your story. They're just like, and Oh, by the way, it was just like a while that when they made the hire, like I got nothing against Gibb, but like he was a part of a staff that was caught up in some pretty wild stuff, whether the NCAA could prove it or not. And so, listen, it doesn't mean he should never get a job again, but I was surprised that he got a head coaching job. Like that's not usually the way that stuff right. works, but whatever. Uh, 
Good. You know, Hawaii will move on. I imagine. <laughs> um, Keith Thomas earlier today ruled it academically ineligible at St. John's. This is in your neck of the woods. How big of a deal is that? I think, uh, first of all, you're setting me up beautifully with these questions, GP. That's I, what I do. I, I don't know. Listen, I'll be honest. I don't know how good or not good Keith Thomas would ultimately be for St. John's. But this community college that he was involved in, apparently, was it's, it's some shady stuff overall. Um, the hammer comes down. Johnny's overall big picture should be a fringe NCAA tournament team. Them not getting him eligible, I don't know if it'll impact him too much. But uh, this was one Adam Zagoria was all over. And last, Larry Brown was quoted at American Athletic Conference Media Day <laughs> earlier today. said, John Calipari is going to have to cut his rotation at some point. Um, that's John's one of John's mentors. Um, I don't know that those two are as close as they used to be, um, but they, they have been very, very close in the past. And yet here's Larry Brown, Hall of Fame coach, saying, listen, John can keep talking about this platoon thing, but at some point he's going to have to move off of that. Uh, that that's, it, it's, I guess it's neat when a Hall of Fame coach and competitor uh, you know, sort of says that, but I think that's what we've all assumed, right? No matter what John Calipari is saying now, he's going to have to move off the platoon at some point. Okay, a few things. One, yes. We've said this, we agree, we'll believe the platoon thing is is truly uh, a strategy when we see it, even by Christmas. We don't think that that's going to stick. Two, you might have been traveling, but you're bearing the lead here, man. Mm. I tweeted about this, so (laughs) I wasn't there, but... The, what I thought you were going to mention with Larry Brown is like I'm I'm you know I'm following Twitter this morning and and just the day is getting started and I'm seeing beat reporters who, who whomever pass along these Larry Brown quotes and his first one is basically he wants to get rid of the three point shot and it's like <laughs> like to me it's it's like so Larry Brown like it's 2014 you're coaching SMU and you want to abolish the three point shot and then like 3 minutes later someone else tweets these they were like so you know you missed the tournament last year everyone thought you'd be in and he just goes yeah i don't i don't know what they want <laughs> like Larry like that's kind of like your job is you got to know how to schedule what to do he's just yeah i, I the three point shot shouldn't exist and um yeah i don't know how to get into the NCAA tournament so it's like, good time. So while SMU is certainly thriving and relevant under Larry Brown, and he's proven a lot of naysayers wrong, those kind of sentiments were why a lot of people were like, what is SMU doing when it's hiring Larry Brown a couple of years ago? So they should still be good this year, but uh, it was worth it for a laugh. Larry Brown, by the way, will remind listeners on this week's podcast, your shopping partner in the greater Memphis area. Yeah, Larry and I have a mutual friend. And then I also hosted like a Coaching for Literacy uh, uh I don't know if it's a symposium, let's just call it a discussion uh, for charity, Um, I guess it was last month, and he was terrific. It was basically just me setting him up, and uh, it was just a conversation, uh, about an hour-long conversation. He was was really, really great, but I I will say this, I was one of the ones who didn't think SMU was smart to go this Larry Bird direction. Um, I thought it seemed desperate and silly, and um, regardless of where it goes from here, and... um, and regards, like you sort of have to acknowledge, like it's 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 been worthwhile, right? I mean, it's without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, SMU, even if even if for some reason like SMU doesn't get to the tournament again this year, like even if they don't, like he's still with the players they've gotten in the conference transitional change. I mean, they were one shy of winning the preseason team first team in the AAC to UConn. So, without a doubt, this has been the right call. All right. Remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast was brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website 
or online portfolio. Squarespace is constantly improving its platform with new features, new designs, and even better support. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Starts at just $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, meaning your content will look great on every device every single time. So go ahead and launch a free trial with no credit card required. Start building your website today. Again, when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast at Squarespace. Everything you need to create an exceptional website. We've kept you long enough, I'm certain. I still have to write a column from here in Charlotte and then, of course, get ready for Game 7 of the World Series as, as we're recording. Your pick? I, I want the Royals to win, so I'll pick them. I so guess. do I. Yeah. I'd love to see the Royals. And I, by the way, we obviously never talk about baseball on the podcast. I, the only time I get into it now is literally maybe the ALCS, NLCS, but I love the World Series. Game True. 7, that's just like, that's just an awesome thing. So, uh, yeah, by the, by the time people, most people listen to this, I imagine it'll have been over, it'll but be still. Over, but at this moment, we don't know, uh, but we are, uh, I think that the official position of the On College Basketball Podcast is we are, we are rooting for the Kansas City Royals. Yes. Nothing against San Francisco, which is rooting against the Kansas City And the, by the way, the end of the baseball season, really, you know, baseball season's duration and college basketball, they kind of flip each other. So as baseball season ends, college hoop season begins and oh, vice versa. How beautiful. How about that? You know, yeah, that's that's symmetry right there, my friend. Remember to subscribe on the Island College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition. And uh, either way, we'll be back next week. Take care.